0: Welcome to The Clappers, this is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. In this episode of The Clappers, we talk about hens, we talk <laughs> about babysitters, it's totally domestical, we talk about the crown. Speaking of domestic. Yes. We, we talk, talk about, about the- Carl's domestic
1: star. <laughs> we talk about the witch. Yes. The uh, precursor to the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And we talk about... The professor. And the madman. Which of us is which?
0: <laughs> i something to talk to you about, Carl. No, I do. I've no, actually got okay. two things to talk to you about. One, you may be able to help with. Mm. One, I doubt you'll be able to help me with at all. Okay. Okay. So, all right. which, which one should I do first?
1: Um, let's go for the one that I can't help you with. Okay.
0: Now, it's quite. Sad. I like a challenge. Well, this is here's another challenge for you to to withhold any tendency you may have mm. to weeping. Okay. <laughs> you okay. may you may find yourself weeping with laughter no 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 no, oh. no with genuine um lacrimosity really okay mm. so uh, a few two years ago two years ago we bought a couple of <laughs> hens for our daughter uh, I'm already going she, I'm she already wanted, going she wanted a pet yep. so we gave her two mm. and while we thought it would fall to her to do all the looking aftering of these two lovely hens. Looker aftering. Looker look aftering. This is a aftering. gerund yeah. of which I am un- with which I'm unfamiliar. Actually turned out that, that, that a lot of the heavy lifting was done by. You know, what a surprise. Yeah. That never happens with kids and pets. No, I know. I know. Oh, yeah. And so they have two very distinct personalities, mm. right? One is a- aggro bastard who doesn't want you to go near her, pick her up, Talk, just really a heavy right. duty sister. Psycho chicken. Just exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other hen. Yeah. A beautiful, friendly, lovely personality. Made beautiful, contented noises the way contented hens do and laid beautifully contented eggs, which we all enjoyed eating. Uh, escaped, though. And we were very upset and roamed the streets looking for her. And she'd flown over the fence into the neighbour's yard and we retrieved her. The kids thought it was a gift from God and their dog was terrified. So the hen was in good shape. But over the last few weeks, she's not been in good shape. Neither of them have. they been quite ill and we my wife took them both to the vet the gentle friendly one and the aggro one they both lost a hell of a lot of weight and we didn't know what to do because we don't know anything and you may not know this but very few vets will look at hens they laugh at you they think yeah, we eat those what are you talking about like it's not a pet it's dinner and so we there is an avian vet we took her to the avian vet and uh some very serious problems that required surgery right and i said well let's do the surgery. Okay. Right. I'm serious. And there, Take was, off a drumstick. there was a mass in her abdomen. There were kidney and liver failure. There was a, some business with her throat. And I said, well, you know, whatever it costs up to a, a certain amount, then we'll do it. Up uh, how, to about how much is $400. Okay. 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 I'd, I'd go up to $400 for, well, for, for this particular hen. The other hen, I don't know. 50 bucks. Maybe <laughs> 50 bucks. <laughs> so I... Uh, I then get a text message from my wife saying, Do we want to take her body? <gasps> and I call her up immediately and uh, I said, What? And she said, Yeah, look, the vet knew how much we loved her, but he said that she probably wouldn't survive the operation and there were too many other things wrong with her and that the kindest thing would be to euthanize her. Mm. He said that the hen that was, was still living was so ill that he's. Given, said, suggested a whole bunch of medical things that we need to do to hopefully, but not, not for sure, get her back to health. And I was just a mess, and so was my wife at the, on the other end of the phone. We were both extraordinarily upset. I felt that I looked after both of these hens, clean out their house, and give them the best food. And anyway, I buried this hen and put a couple of heavy pavers on top of her grave so that the fox won't get her Uh, because there are foxes, Mm. you know, they're there. They come every Mm. night and check that the door's locked and if the door's not locked in, they come and out goes your hen. Mm. But what's happened is that the hen that has survived is, is in a very strange mood and won't eat from her normal, where where she normally eats from. And, of course, if you imagine living in a house with your mate who all of a sudden gets mm. in the car with you and doesn't come home, it must be very upsetting. She seems to require our attention and... And, and this uh, is the grumpy... This is the grumpy aggro yeah. hen. Mm. And uh, our daughter reads to her every day and make, to make her feel nice. And she's, she comes in, she's being not affectionate, but, like, she, she hangs just near the door or, and, and, and kind of won't leave... near near the door where she can see us in and out of the house. It's a very strange psychological thing that I'm not equal to in terms of Predicting or guessing what the right, right call. Just rewind is. that. Your daughter won't leave. No, the hen. The hen. The okay. hen. My, our daughter will go where she's told. <laughs> that's the kind of daughter I have. She does exactly what she's told when she's told without complaint. Yes, Dad.
1: Lay, lays eggs on lays command. Eggs.
0: Well, apparently two uh, every day. it's t- t- enough t- for breakfast. Two years is about the length of time you have for hens and eggs. Is it? Yep, two years and after that, that's it, and that's fine. And I mean, they become broilers, hens that have no rooster. I'm just, I, I think it's a different system, but okay. but yeah. not you're not allowed to keep roosters in the suburbs right. in most most Because of the crowing. I believe that's the, the main thing. Right. Yeah, they're very noisy yeah. and, you know, I um, read a great essay about the joy of roosters, I think, with Fiona Scott Norman um, mm. just recently. But that's, look, let's not digress. We, we rarely do. Oh, no, no, no. I... I don't want her to be lonely, but I don't want to get another hen that mm. might bully her and mm. take advantage of her more gentle disposition. And I'd be uh, more concerned mm-hmm. about the new hen being um, you know, pecked, pecked out of existence. Peck, pecked out of existence. Yeah, yeah, well, like I said, I don't I don't know anything. I'm take, taking advice. I've got to go back to the vet soon with yeah. the other one and see how the tests go. But it's, it's unbelievably sad. You know. the
1: the bonding
0: yeah. the, with with a, a chicken mm-hmm. I, i'm can't see it I can't see it. No. People can't until they see them. Not not ours, but I mean, everybody I've ever heard talk about hens says that it's one of the most beautiful, soothing, enjoyable things is to watch a couple of hens just running around the yard having fun. They're very social and they're quite bright animals, which you would never know if all you do is eat them, which prior to having hens. And this is the funny thing. A friend of mine, good friend of mine asked me, so you've got these two hens that you love and you... Kind of don't shut up about all the time. Hey, you eat chicken. I'm going. Yeah, of course. I don't eat them. <laughs> I don't eat those two. I eat the other. Now, look, there are humans that you love, and you would be distressed if anything happened there to. There are humans that you eat. There are humans that you can't stand, and if I, something oh, happened to them, you would be. Sorry. There would be. You'd be. <laughs> happy. Then they're humans that you've never met, you don't know. Something happens to them and it makes no difference because you don't know and you don't you don't know. And so the hens I eat are the ones that I've never met that I don't know. I don't eat the ones that are kept with deep beaks and de clawed in the what do you call those? Battery. Battery yeah. No, I, I eat organic and, and hens that, that run free in the meadows. You are a righteous carnival. I'm righteous. Full oh, yeah. stop. Since this particular There's more? Since this particular hen died I haven't been able to eat chicken. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've got a nice plump one in the freezer, mm. and I had made a chicken cacciatore a couple of days earlier. That was delicious. Mm. I couldn't touch it. Really? My wife and daughter
1: polished it off. No problem. So uh, we said goodbye to to a beloved dog a few years back, mm-hmm. and it was very traumatic. Euthanized. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, we had, you know, all, all three kids at home and my wife and I and the vet came around and oh, okay. gave her a needle and, and that was it. Yeah. Put her down. Yeah. And, I mean, her, her back legs had gone. She was, you know, she, she bas- basically was no longer mobile and yeah. was probably a little bit um, uh, senile, mm-hmm. I think. Um, she was 14 or 15 or something at the yeah. time. So it had had a very good innings and yeah. decent life. and But it was very, very sad. And I, I yeah. had never had that experience because – as a, as a kid, mm. I twice owned uh, a dog, and for a very very short period, yeah. and they went missing, <gasps> and wow. uh, twice, twice. What
0: does that say about you?
1: It says that I'm very unlucky. I got mine back. Yeah, right. I, I found I found mine. Right, I, I suspect this was um, possibly uh, something to do with either either thefts or people thinking that it was not nice to have the these dogs penned up in the backyard or whatever it was and but they may be an animal liberationist
0: oh oh yeah but i suspect, balaclavas but and, i suspect yeah.
1: not i suspect they yeah. were just dog thieves dog thieves yep. yeah um so yeah and, and yeah. so after that my parents <laughs> never had dogs because it yeah. was so traumatizing yeah they yeah. only had them for like a couple of months
0: yeah know, but even, a very so, short period. even so it would have been really upsetting yeah, yeah. so we had cats thereafter which no one gets upset about them they come, they go, they do what they want, they ignore you. <laughs> Pretty you know. much.
1: Pretty much. So when, when, as an adult, yeah. uh, you know, a, a dog re-entered my life, I had no idea that you could feel... So you know, mm. so bonded. So uh, yeah, uh, and, and when when that dog died, mm. I wasn't able to eat dog after that. Well,
0: that's that's good because mm. in South Australia you're not allowed to, but I think it's still okay. Is most of Australia legally speaking? Yeah. Really? So, yeah. I, I remember recently they passed a law in South Australia, and somebody said, "Oh, isn't this already? this be already against the law?" And other people say, "Well, why?" And because you, know, you eat the horse, well, you eat the cow, this, you, eat this the is sheep, really, you eat the sheep, you eat the This is a really you know, interesting
1: issue, right? And particularly at this moment when you know the world is beset by. You know terror, coronavirus terror, coronavirus there is the, the suggestion and, and probably well founded that it, it has its origins in consumption of wild animals in in uh, in China okay and and particularly yeah. uh, the, the link has been made to bats. okay and eating them. Yes, eating yep. them, okay. eating them because bats. Apparently, the bat liver is one of the greatest incubators of viruses oh, on the planet. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, oh, and they're everywhere in my place. <laughs> if, if the bats start coughing, oh, get the hell out of man. there, man. Um, but but I, I have a mate who, who uh, has, has well, he, he doesn't live in China now, but he spent many years, li- years living in China, has lots of connections into China, mm. and he kept sending me all these videos of people eating bat <gasps> and. Mm. <laughs> they are—they are they're, mm. they're quite horrendous. And there was this one in particular of this like little kid, probably about ten, with what was basically a bowl of soup. Yeah. With a full bat, like wings outspread, a full-on <laughs> bat, full-on bat, a full-on bat. This is not. Mm, what is this strange meat that I'm eating? This mystery is mystery like, meat. Oh, that's <laughs> a bat. Mystery solved. And and <laughs> the wings are spread out yeah. as if it's mid-flight, and the face is in this expression of. Ah, Somewhere between rage and horror. And this little kid's picking it up with chopsticks and eating it. And I'm just looking at this going I I know that philosophically yes. It's On no principle. different. Than you should be if you're pig eating one or chicken or yeah. or If cow you eat one,
0: why not the others? Just like Lawrence Olivier's uh excised and then reinserted scene in Spartacus where he asks as he asks Antoninus, is it moral to eat oysters but not to eat snails? Antoninus, it's the same thing. Mm. Is one better than the other? Mm. One more moral than the mm. other? Mm. Nay. But Presumably,
1: mm. if you follow that, the logical extension includes humans, doesn't it? It does. It so, does. It does. I don't
0: know. Perhaps. We do not perhaps advocate. Is, perhaps can we, just, bar- we, we perhaps might need to make. Barriers exist for very good reasons. This might be a good point to make a statement here on behalf of the <laughs> clappers. We do not advocate, and the word is coarse, but we do not advocate cannibalism <laughs> here at the clappers. Just don't misunderstand us, okay? Andrew, there was a second issue. Yeah, there was uh, a second issue. Now that I have issue. so
1: comprehensively yeah, th- failed to yeah, help with the first. Yeah, thank you for that one. The, yeah. the
0: second issue was uh, rarely rarely once feels like once a year maybe twice a year we have the wherewithal to be able to go out at the same time to the same place and engage the services of a babysitter right right
1: you're not talking you and i because no, we do not have a no, baby no. together I'm, just I'm talking, for those who are talking about to this
0: program. my spouse and i and it doesn't happen much and we are frugal people and so this yeah we have this babysitter a very fond a daughter is of her and she's very nice and and competent she's often late not much just a bit and that's kind of all right, but the other night I had a gig, had to be there at this exact t- time. Doesn't show up. Twenty Ooh. minutes later, sending the text message. Oh, is that tonight? Ooh. Oh, ah, I thought it was tomorrow, and you know, sorry, can't do it. Well, obviously, and yeah. so uh, fortunately, we were able to make a hasty rearrangement of things, and everything turned out well in the end. But my feeling is, uh, I I don't want to be in that. Position again. I don't feel. I don't. I hope this isn't sounding too harsh, but I think maybe we'll either have another babysitter. Are you putting or up for no for babysitter? No, 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 no. No, no. I'm just it? wondering what you would do because you're a guy who has domestic staff and who engages people to do things all the time. And mm. how would you feel if your babysitter just didn't show, didn't call, nothing, and then was prodded into a response by a text message saying you're 20 minutes late? Where well, are people you? make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So exactly. I, I, would. So I'm asking you. All right. And the first the man instance, who's made in the first so instance, many mistakes. I would. <laughs> Thank, I'm you.
1: Asking thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Coming in here tonight, clearly near the top of the list. Um, I would say, in the first instance, I would be furious mm. because suddenly my my plans are in mm. disarray. Uh, this is like work as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. work life, whatever. Work I mean, life, work life balance. Still plans. Yep, plans. Um, yep, and uh, and then I would try to find a solution as quickly yep. as possible and which, which, which get, we get on. Yep. Yeah, And then I, you know, having already had some sort of conversation mm-hmm. with the said sitter, mm-hmm. um, I, would, I would pick it up again and yep. uh, try to, you know, ascertain whether they were a little bit contrite about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, acknowledge that, you know, people make mistakes. You can you know. actually like get the days wrong. I mean, exactly. I turned up for a yeah. screening. Yeah. I got a, I got an invitation to the screening in December, mm-hmm. and it was for a screening on February 11, and I mistakenly read it as December 11. So I turned up mm-hmm. for the screening. Two months early. Oh, was there anyone there? Oh, oh was there, yeah. I oh, was there two
0: months earlier. And yeah. I and I was thinking the same thing to myself. And I, it, uh, that doesn't the, happen very often, but it but does, does happen. happen. Right? And I am certain to have done the self very same. I've, I have definitely done the same thing. Mm. That There there has been a little bit of um, fumbling of entries into the calendar over the last few months that I've – I thought I'd rectified until I got a call when I was at the gymnasium mm. from someone saying, um, yeah, you're supposed to start an hour ago. Right. And I went, oh. Is that tonight? I thought it's tomorrow uh, night. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No. And, yeah. I, and I said, look, I'm going to get out. I'm going to be home in five minutes. Obviously get changed. Yeah. Obviously. Mm. And it, it all worked out well. Mm. They weren't angry at me for being quite a bit over an hour late. Mm. I worked lot, you know, I played longer until, so, the, you know. You, you I, made up. I, you made made, I made up and everybody was happy. I was ashamed and mortified and sent Have many. I had you back? Yes, right. sent, sent many messages of so psychology. And, and I'm saying that you should yeah, give the babysitter another well, that's go. That's why I'm, I'm presenting yeah. all the facts to you yeah. as a man yeah. accustomed to error. I suggest, like Solomon. You cut the babysitter in half. <laughs> I don't say that even as a joke. Yes, I didn't so, mean that babysitter. Whoever you are. So, so, so I'm I'm glad I brought this up with you mm. because it reminded me of my own shortcomings. Yes, and that's what conversation does. Oh,
1: that's what I'm here for. That's
0: what I'm why, here. That's here why to we remind talk, you of your shortcomings. As I am here to remind <laughs> you of yours.
1: <laughs> so this is the good doctor.
0: <laughs> I cannot believe my eyes. All right only just started. Partners. One for what? An American and a Scot. One brilliant. One mad. But which is which?
1: Andrew, uh, have Kyle. you ever read the book <laughs> The Surgeon of Crothorn? I have. By Simon Winchester. I have. Yes. Well, that book, mm-hmm. has that been turned into a film? The Professor and the Madman.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, ah, because it was a film, but it was more of a documentary, wasn't it? This is not going to be a documentary. This is not a
1: documentary. This
0: stars <gasps> yeah. Mel Gibson and Sean Penn.
1: And Sean Penn is the madman. What a surprise!
0: Well, that's not right. <laughs> I, that's that's I, actually look. You know, I reckon that could, it could have gone could've, either could've, way.
1: Could've, it really could have gone either way. Mel Gibson definitely. is the the professor yep. of, of the title. Yeah. Uh, James Murray is his name. And and Sean Penn plays uh, a former commander in the Civil War, um, William Minor, who is he's basically, I guess. From today's perspective, you'd say he is absolutely in the, in the um, throes of uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, um, a very, very deep, severe case thereof, uh, which probably – well, does it, does it lead to or is it separate that he, he develops kind of, I guess, paranoid schizophrenia? So he's a very, he's a very troubled man, mm-hmm. um, but it, would, it seems that his, his condition stems from uh, trauma. Yeah. During the Civil War, things he was a surgeon in the in the Civil War and he witnessed, you know, bodies being blown to bits, legs being amp- amputated, people dying in front of him. He confronts a deserter during the war and he brands him with a D on his on his cheek to mark him as a deserter. And in his post Civil War life, he's haunted by the idea that this guy is hunting
0: him down. He's come to exact revenge. Okay, I, that doesn't ring a bell with no. me at all. Okay, but that's not to say it's not in the book. Right, uh, but no, I don't. I don't recall that.
1: Right. So, it's, so it all takes place in in London in the I think eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties, perhaps eighteen seventies. I think is probably when it starts, and uh, and Murray has basically landed a job to try to he's not the first person to try to do this but he's taken over the project to try to create uh, the definitive dictionary of the mm. English language uh, uh, the Oxford English Dictionary on historical principles as it became known yeah and uh, and it's it's an etymological exercise it's like let's trace the origin of mm-hmm. of these words let's find examples of how they've been used let's find examples of how they've how that usage has changed over time I think the film does a magnificent job of giving you a sense of the insane scale of the project. Mm. We take we take dictionaries and we take the OED as uh, you know for granted as a thing that exists and it's just it's just there. But the the idea that you go from having nothing like it mm. to this multi-volume beast mm. and you have to conceive of how to do it and it's you have system. to actually do the research of of finding those words and every iteration that you possibly can to try to trace the lineage, you know, when did it first occur? How did it, you know, how did it evolve over the centuries? There's a section in the film where they're, they're tracing the history of, um, a, of a single word in the A's, and, and it is just agonising because they've got a 200-year gap and they're going, what happened in the 16th and 17th centuries?
0: That aspect of it is fascinating. Well, I'm glad because that's the interesting part for, for me who is interested in words and etymology and the origins. And I first noticed that the OED had this different, it was a difference from other dictionaries. In 1993, I looked up a particular word and I noticed that what they'd done was... Put in the its first use in literature, and its and this word's first use in a, a medical or, or or technical way, and it, and. It had quite a long paragraph of various examples of uses of this word over the centuries. And I thought, that's a that's a good idea. And then I was speaking to someone about it and they looked at me like I was a moron. I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's like, what it is. That's what it is. That's the point. <laughs> you know, I'd gotten interested in dictionaries f- when I was studying linguistics. The book, Suzy MacArthur, has a lot of anecdotes because there are lots of very interesting contributors and they did seek out people from all over the English-speaking world to send in... You know, words related to uh, nautical and, and maritime life, and and words related to biology and to botany, and uh, they had every kind of expert sending in and the little slips of paper with the earliest you know found use of a particular word. Shakespeare's really famous for having allegedly invented words because yeah. his first he's the first written use of a, of, a, of a word when I mean, perhaps the word had been around for a long time and no one had actually just yeah, it he, to write he down. He could have
1: been the first person to transcribe it from yep. common usage. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, when from your memory of the book, I'm, mm. I'm guessing it's a while since you it's read it. Be more than ten years, it yeah. be maybe fifteen years. I think. It, does it have much about the personal lives of of the men? Is there a uh, a romance element? Uh,
0: not that I don't remember. The, I, I remember it as being a fairly enjoyable, um, but not a romp, right. and, and so, probably dry. And, and it's it's a book about the. the Lots of people well, it's one contributing of the, to the first publishing because it took years the to subtitle, publish. It went, It's one of the you know, subtitled books.
1: You know, there was that period where, like, you know, the full stop, the the, yes. the punctuation yeah. mark that changed the world. It I've, was, it was yeah, one of those. Exactly, it was of. one
0: of the first ones yeah, of that. Yeah, and that's it was right. um, there was you know uh, the the Basque history of the world was another one that was around the same time. To me, all the interesting stuff you is, screened is that the, out. That was is, the footnotes. Is the stuff about how they mani- it, like you say it's. Sisyphean, this task. It, How, it absolutely. Why would is. you like the, the like Ambrose Beers's Devil's Dictionary or uh, Dr. Johnson's? They're almost like amusing personal views of the world. They're very funny books, but they're not a real serious, That's comprehensive right. attempt to marshal all the linguistic and information. And analytical it was an attempt to capture
1: every yeah. word. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, you know. Herculean task Mm. and slightly misguided, and and Mm. this is one of the things that that evolves over the course of the film is the idea that you can capture Mm. the language and hold it uh, bound in these books. Yeah. Uh, when in fact it continues to evolve and it continues mm. to evade your grasp. And Steve Coogan plays a, a, a character in this who is uh, sort of the like Alan Partridge. sponsor. He's not Alan Partridge, no. <laughs> He's the great sponsor of this project Yeah, and Murray's, okay. and Murray's great supporter within yeah. Oxford when he has many, many opponents, people yep. who think it's taking too long. Mm. It's not going to sell enough. There's this lovely dynamic between the commercial imperatives of yes. Oxford uh, University Press mm. as a publishing enterprise and the project as an acad- yes. academic uh, enterprise enterprise and one How that serves apposite.
0: humanity. How opposite given Melbourne University Press well, indeed, at the moment. Indeed,
1: Yes, there is there is that. Um Go on, brief footnote. Oh, no, I just, just – I seem to remember there were subscribers that, that as, as the – No, I meant about Melbourne University Press, for, for anybody oh, who doesn't understand your throwaway oh, reference sorry, there. Well,
0: who <laughs> this Adler,
1: is called a footnote, Okay,
0: so Louise Adler and the board – she was the publisher of Melbourne University and the board – they all resigned en masse because there had been a new decision made by the Melbourne University board, not by their vice-chancellor. He just agreed to implement it because he thought it was a good idea that Melbourne should be – This is no longer a footnote? Okay, publishing this more academic books and less of the books that were making them lots of money. So they were selling all these books, making a, a great a great success of publishing and selling books. But they were told, no, we've got to do academic books that nobody will read, and will just be remaindered and pulped.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I think <laughs> I think you hoisted your your uh, flag there, man. Um, uh, it's all—it's the inverse of what happens in this, which is yes. basically the commercial imperative is at loggerheads with the academic one. Yes. Um, and uh, anyway, it's—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, it's I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff in mm. this film, but there's also elements that kind of feel like they've been. And I, and this is why I ask about what you remember of the book yeah. because they, they feel like they've been sort of superimposed in a yeah, way. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it feels like that to it, you it, as you watch bit, yeah. it, like so, the romance. So minor, the, the Sean Peng character, right, we see him at the beginning of the film <laughs> having a delusional episode. Well, he's giving chase to a man through the streets of London, yeah. right, and uh, he shoots him. Shoots him dead yeah. on on his own door on this on this guy's doorstep. His name this fellow is called Merritt. He's a he's a minor character, but then his widow comes mm. into play, um, played by Natalie Dormer from Game of Thrones. And uh, he so minor ends up in prison. He ends up well, not in prison. He ends up in in an insane asylum. Yeah, and uh, Broadmore, and uh, over time. Um, the widow Merritt comes to see him, and they develop a relationship. Okay. Now I don't know if that's in the book. It doesn't ring a bell. I'll um, I'll have a look. It feels. I'll have a look and let you it know. It feels like the sort of thing that is insanely contrived. And yeah. uh, if it's not contrived, if mm-hmm. it is in the book, then. It's remarkable. Yeah, I'll
0: have a look. So It's only a thin book, so I, I'll, maybe right, I'll okay. try and whip through it between now and when we next meet and I'll say to you, yeah, this happened, that's right, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, they made that up, they made that up. this guy, uh, yeah, so okay. we'll try on that.
1: And and then I think probably the, the other
0: thing that sort the of – The elephant in the room that we haven't spoke about the, yet. You, the, you're going to bring it up, I hope. I
1: don't know. What elephant is that? Well, so Mel, Mel Gibson. There you Murray. are. There's the <laughs> elephant right
0: there. He brought it up. Thank well, you. There is his Scottish accent. The Everybody new. told him he was great in that it's film where he was a yeah, Scotsman, and, he and, and so that. now he, it,
1: <laughs> whenever he's got the chance, he breaks into a brogue. Anyway, so Mel plays this uh, professor. Yes. So in the title, the professor in the Madman. Yes, there's beards both have beards. Uh, <laughs> in this, in, you, you're meant to you start from the from the proposition that. Murray is the professor and Miner Minor is the madman but of course then over the course of the story Minor becomes a major contr- Minor becomes major as a contributor to the to the OED project and Murray becomes obsessed with this project to the point that everything else falls by the wayside it becomes fixated on yeah. that project to the expense of everything else mm-hmm. so he becomes to a degree the madman mm-hmm. and i guess my discomfort with it is it, it, it sort of plays with that kind of madman genius kind yeah, of trope, yeah, you know, like yeah. there's a bit of there's a bit of the madman in every genius and who can say who's a genius, who's a madman? <laughs> well the guy who's cutting off his own penis in the in the psych ward is probably the madman, I'd say. Was it entertaining, this film? I was constantly in a, a tug of war w- between finding it annoying yeah. and finding it really fascinating. There been were a couple of moments when I went, oh, wow, this is actually on the brink of being a great film. Yeah. And then it would just collapse okay. into a, a whole series of kind of predictable kind yeah. of
0: tropes and what have you. Would, so. it, would it have been better or would you have thought it was better or enjoyed it more had there been another actor instead of Mel Gibson in this all. No, I don't think Mel Gibson is
1: per se an issue with it. Okay. No, I think, he's, yep. I think he's fine. I think okay. he's fine. I think right. Penn at times is maybe a little uh, mannered, mm-hmm. yeah, but I think the depiction of insanity is a really difficult thing to do um, yeah. because our for most of us our understanding of it, of that kind of very deep Sort of insanity is derived from sort of uh, theatrical and filmic Mm. and televisual portrayals, Um, you know. Except for people who work in psych wards, I guess, you know, who've seen it firsthand. I don't know. I think these days a little bit of it on the street. Perhaps see it on the street. You do see it. But you you know what I mean. It's kind of like it does feel a little, a little mannered.
0: What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our fathers' houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Did you see the lighthouse? Didn't see anything. So you failed. Didn't go anywhere. You failed in your homework had gigs, again. Had gigs and work, <laughs> and I couldn't bloody go. And I wish I did. I'm. I feel terrible. Okay. Well, I, I did keep your seeing, work. I keep seeing little ads for it, or someone will say, "Oh, I just saw this fantastic film called." Like, yeah, yeah. I know you did,
1: Okay. So yeah. I did not exactly your your work, but I did a little bit of homework, and that I, I I caught up with the witch, which is Robert, the same director, okay. Robert Eggers' yeah. previous mm-hmm. film, and. Having seen it, hmm. it casts a whole new light on the lighthouse. Oh, okay, in that there's a direct lineage. Okay, right? it's uh, the the which ends with this uh, little title card that says the The dialogue in this film is drawn from historical records from the time and and you okay. know journals and so yep. on, exactly the same. Yep. as you get at the end mm-hmm. of the lighthouse, uh, the, the the sort of title cards are all using the same sort of font treatment as yep. as uh, the witch and the lighthouse. Uh, ag- again, it's a story of um, a, a small group. I mean, the lighthouse is two people. In the case of the witch, it's a family. Yeah, isolated from community, cut off in a in a, a sort of a remote uh, and. To some degree, hostile environment yeah. and succumbing to madness. Yep. Right. It's it, really interesting mm-hmm. seeing that the like the the parallels between these yeah. two films, or or the or the direct line, I guess, mm. between these two mm-hmm. films. So, I mean, I guess I haven't seen his short film work, but I would I would say that mm. Robert Eggers very clearly has He's got interested. a house style. Yeah, it's a house, yeah <laughs> and it's a really good. interesting one. Yeah. So, oh, good. Yeah. Good.
0: I have seen the most recent season of The Crown. Mm. There was there were two really standout episodes for me, maybe three. That I don't think anybody else will think are standout episodes. Go on. The first that stood out was in almost entirely about Princess Alice, the Duke of Edinburgh's mother. Yeah, that was interesting. It was. I, I thought it was amazing. It's a very good. You could watch that alone. You don't need to have seen anything else mm. in, in this season, but you could watch that Princess Alice episode just on its own. And yeah, it's really, really strong. The one on Louis Mountbatten, I th- also thought was really interesting. And again. And perhaps the people who love the crown and love Claire Foy and love princesses m- might not think 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 so. And uh, did
1: you make it through the whole? Oh, yeah, the whole yeah, tent? I d- yeah, I did. I
0: love I love Colly. I think she's great in everything she does. Collie as in mm. that, that's, that's you and Ollie <clears throat> Ollie Colly. Yeah, that's what we. That's yeah, <laughs> what all our mates call her. And I st- what it's, about Helly? I, I still am do you, absolutely like Helly. I, I I like her, sure. And and look, the, the, the actress who has the best lines and the most withering sneer is the one who plays Princess Anne. She is hilarious. Terrific, I, I don't yeah. know if Princess Anne is ever that funny in real life, but the lines that she gets and the actress who, who plays her just got this withering sneer that is fantastic and always fun when she comes on the screen. I thought that the structure of this
1: season yeah. was really interesting yeah. in the way it focused mm. on a different character. Yeah. Each yeah. episode was basically basically built around one of, the, mm. one of the members of the royal household. In terms of drama, the episode mm. I- about the mining village in Wales that yeah. was wiped out by the slag heap collapse yeah. was, was fascinating. Yeah, it I thought was. that was and uh, brilliantly done. But
0: also the uh, quite detached and unemotional response which mirrors, of course, that of when Diana, the Princess of Wales, was killed. Mm. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, just while I remember the, if people want to find the Princess Alice episode, it's called Barbican's. So and it's by an actress called Erin Doherty. I'm not familiar with her from, yeah. from anything before. But but you she's like her? great. like a bit funny. It also
1: it also had that really really disturbing thing of turning mm. like this this royal character in the way that the first two seasons did with Claire Foy yeah. into a
0: kind of sexy figure. And it's yeah. like,
1: "But I'm a republican. I can't feel this
0: Oh, way. no, no, no. I can I can I can certainly <laughs> certainly see the benefits of Australia having its own head of state and being a republic and enjoy this. <laughs> and enjoy this television program. What are you doing? Leaving.
1: But I don't want you to. You just said you did. No, I didn't. I said, I don't want you to get hurt. This conversation is going round and round in circles. I preferred it when we were going round and round in circles.
0: I don't think I watched much of the second season. Okay. I, I think I just, you know, sometimes... I was Perhaps I was worried it was going to turn into Downton Abbey, which is yeah. like I couldn't even be in the room. I could barely walk through a room that Downton Abbey right. was, was, was on the simmer screen. Simmer with rage.
1: Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I really liked... Helena Bonham Carter's portrayal Mm. of of, uh, Margaret in this who was like appalling Mm -hmm. and sad Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. the same time. Mm -hmm. She was Mm -hmm. this this character who you kind of felt like everything that – one might loathe mm. about the 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 whole idea of the royal family, mm. and, and uh, yeah, she's and a good whipping boy. She totally, totally for totally, the royal family. Yeah, totally mm-hmm. uh, captures that sense of privilege and mm. disdain and entitlement yeah. and everything Arrogance. that's bad yeah. about. About inherited privilege and wealth mm-hmm. and... Because there's so many good things. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, having it is probably quite good. Having but, you it know, is good. Yeah.
0: Oh, mummy, it's such a bore.
1: Oh, oh. such a dreadful, dreadful the, burden
0: the, um, on one. Any episode with Charles, of course, is also good. Um, yes, I mean... I, I, he's so, uh, they, they, I mean, you can't do enough to, to really... Um, yeah, you, you, no matter how you might think it's a, his level of self pity is exaggerated, you just can't exaggerate it. It's great, it's great.
1: He, um, the actor who plays Charles, mm. Josh O'Connor, yeah. turns up in the new film version of Emma. I'm just throwing this mm, in mm, because that's there's right, such a yeah. beautiful construction around this show. We spend hours and hours planning out beforehand. The yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Of Everyone knows what's going practice. on
0: with us. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm just giving, giving, yeah, giving okay. listeners a little glimpse behind for the curtain. For the
0: new listener yeah, who, who may yeah, not have, yeah. have had the benefit hours. of all, all the previous episodes and hours. broadcast or narrow casting excellence. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yes.
1: so this actor, Josh O'Connor, who plays Charles, yeah. turns up in Emma, mm-hmm. right? which stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who mm-hmm. is in The Witch, mm-hmm. the Robert Eggers there film. You are, you there see? you go. There you go. There oh. you the, mission circle, accomplished. the circle well is done. complete. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's kind of wonderfully insipid, I think, mm, and, mm, and, and 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 yeah, a figure yeah. that I felt you enormous empathy for.
0: Feel, you can feel for, for him... As portrayed in this show, which yeah. is exactly what they wanted you to do. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you, you kind of – it did make me wonder about mm. the sort of – like let's assume there's a sort of a uh, a project yeah. at play with, with the Crown. There is oh, an th- ideological imperative in this. But
0: Peter Morgan, you know, I feel has certain feelings mm. that mm. have come out in his uh, – I think he did a, a, a play – as well with where the Queen meets all these every Prime Minister the Queen has been the Queen mm. with is in the play so there she is with Churchill and Wilson and Macmillan and Heath, um, Thatcher and, and, and on, you know, on and on it goes and it's apparently a great play you know with with her and the interactions between her and them. but he certainly has feelings uh, about the royal family that that are perhaps more sympathetic and positive. <laughs> Than maybe other directors not,
1: might not entirely without criticism. Not I entirely think. without I, I, criticism. I, I think I think okay. that it's yeah. a relatively gentle, it's gentle
0: criticism. Gentle criticism. Very, criticism. Very gentle. That's right. Yeah.
1: It doesn't ultimately uh, push. I think the idea that Britain should be a public and the monarchy should be abolished. So. There'll be no tumbrels and no
0: guillotine
1: on the last episode of the Crown. But it is, I think, positioning Charles as the rightful next head of st- uh, uh, head of state. <laughs>
0: Yeah, have you seen Charles the Third, the film Charles the Third? No, I don't think so. It's it's wonderful, man. It's mm.
1: so good. Mm. It's it's. Is this about a hypothetical?
0: This is a hypothetical Charles the Third. Yeah, right. and it is. I loved it, Andrew. Yep, Carl. It's been great. It's always great. So uh, that's it for us for today, and you'll hear from us again on the next episode of the Clappers. You can find us
1: over on Facebook. <laughs> have a look for the
0: Clappers podcast.